Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Spiders can be pretty scary, but they can also help us out in surprising ways. Now, spider venom might give you a bit of a shock, but it can also potentially help cure us of our opioid addictions by developing new types of painkillers. And we also can learn about the way spiders manage to keep those webs untangled, develop new manner of materials, and find out how spiders colour themselves to help build pretty impressive webs. Now Australia is known for many things. One of them of course is the famous amount of deadly creatures that inhabit our lands. That includes of course great white sharks, the incredibly tiny but potent jellyfish the Irigangi, as well as all kinds of venomous snakes and spiders. But one of the things that's completely fascinating about venom is that sometimes you can take this venom and repurpose it, often for more important therapeutic uses. Now venom plays an important role of course for the predators and prey as part of a means of predation. But for humans, venom can also be repurposed and University of Queensland has looked at this several times to try and find ways to improve venom or to use it for something else, something to help save lives rather than take them. And that's exactly what researchers including Dr. Christina Schroeder from University of Queensland's Institute for Molecular Bioscience have been studying. And they've been looking at the humble tarantula and they've published in the journal Biological Chemistry, along with other authors Akelo Agawa and Poana Tran, been looking at ways to repurpose the venom of a tarantula. Now, tarantula has some interesting venom inside it. And what they were hoping to see is if there was a way that they could use this, specifically a small protein inside of it, to help relieve some of the significant side effects and drawbacks painkillers. Now the problem with a lot of our painkillers that we rely on at the moment is that they're opioid based and people have been looking for alternatives to morphine and morphine like drugs like fentanyl or oxycodone because as we know from the incredibly addictive and damaging opioid crisis across many parts of the world whilst opioids are great at pain relief they come with a lot of side effects. Least of all are obviously nausea and constipation. But the risk of addiction is, of course, immense because that can place a huge burden on society. And for people with chronic pain, it can become incredibly difficult because they're trying to manage a very damaging and debilitating health condition, chronic pain. But they end up with another debilitating health condition, which is chronic addiction. So this can lead to obviously a pretty bad spiral. Now, that's why researchers across the world are trying to find better pain relief that doesn't rely on some of these same mechanisms and aren't opioid-based or opioid-like. So that's why these researchers from the Molecular Bioscience Group at UQ are trying to find these chemical alternatives. And one of the sources, of course, is tarantula venom. Now, the type of spider that we're looking at isn't actually native to Australia or Queensland. It's the Chinese bird spider. And inside this spider's venom, is a protein by the name of Huvintoxin IV or Huvintoxin 4. It binds to pain receptors in the body. And that's interesting because something that binds to pain receptors can be used for pain relief using a different mechanism. So they took a three-pronged approach to their drug design to try and develop a new therapeutic drug that incorporates some of this mini protein Huvintoxin IV. They've taken a couple of different aspects of it. 
not just the protein itself, but also its receptor and the surrounding membrane. And they've taken all of these out of the spider venom. And they've tried to alter and increase the potency of this mini protein and which pain receptors it's targets. So they're actually trying to tune and enhance the groundwork laid out by this tarantula venom. Now, what they've done is test this quite effectively in mice models and to show that it works very effectively. And this is interesting because it's actually an alternate pathway to develop new types of pain relief because it relies on a, a certain type of mini protein, which is very different to the other opioid-based treatments. And when it comes to drug development, a lot of the time it's about finding a new way of approaching a problem, coming from a source that you hadn't thought of before. A lot of the pain relief drugs we have on the market at the moment are opioid-based. So coming at it from a completely different approach, in this case, spider venom, actually gives researchers a new plate of tools to work with. And that's why this study is so important. It doesn't mean tomorrow we're going to have a new drug to replace opioids, but it does mean that we have the pathway to find new and more interesting treatment methods to provide other options for not just individual patients with chronic pain, but also to reduce overall society's reliance on opioids. There's some great research from the University of Queensland published in the journal Biological Chemistry. Now spiders do a lot of amazing things. We already talked about their great venom. Not all spiders, of course, produce venom that you can repurpose into opioid replacements. But a lot of spiders make webs. Again, not all spiders make webs, but a lot do. So when these spiders are producing these intricate webs for catching their prey, they weave them and they spin them out. We've talked a lot several times on this podcast, and you'd probably be well aware of the strengths of spider web or spider silk and how it can be repurposed and used for nanomaterials. And that's one aspect of it, of course. But a new paper published in the American Chemical Society's Applied Nanomaterials, but by lead author Anna Christian Joel, has been trying to find the amazing tricks of spiders weaving those webs and repurpose that to help make more non-sticky and smarter nanomaterials for medical appliances. Now the real problem is, if you have ever tried to untangle a thread or do any sewing, you will probably have encountered getting tangled up and caught in that thread or having it wrap around and get stuck. If you have particularly wavy or curly hair, then pulling a comb through your hair can often be a painful experience as it all gets wrapped around and knotted together. So how do spiders weaving webs not manage to get tangled in this incredibly strong spider silk? And that's a really good question. What is it about these spiders that keep that spider's thread in a straight line and doesn't get tangled to their legs as they weave their magic webs? Well, this has been studied in detail by these researchers, and they looked at, in particular, cribellate spiders and what they managed to do to keep all their webs straight and able to be assembled. Now, what they found that these particular type of spiders, the cribellate spiders, produce a silk that isn't coated in a sticky glue. It more resembles a bristly wool that embeds or ensnares their prey. That's pretty amazing, 
but it's also very different from the other types of spiderwebs that are out there. Now, the sticky glue type spiderweb has some advantages for trying to lay it out and you know weave that web. But if the web is made of a bristly woolly material that can ensnare a prey, well it also means it can incredibly easily trap itself onto the spider. So how does the chrysalid spider actually keep it straight? Well they use a comb, which is the calamistrum, which grabs onto each of the nanofibers emerging from the spider's abdomen and weaves them together into threads. So if it has this loom piecing together all of these different threads and making a complicated web, how is that loom and the spider's legs all not getting tangled up in this incredibly bristly, woolly-like spiderweb? So these researchers started by examining the colistrum, the combs of these spiders. And they looked at a group of lace weaver spiders, in particular, as a starting point. Because in contrast to normal types of spiders, some of these lace weavers don't actually have combs, but instead they had a build-up of nanofibers where those combs should have been. Now they looked at a group of normal spiders, ones that hadn't had their cholesterol removed, and they observed how those spiders were managed to comb and interact with the fibers. Now on the normal spiders, the ones with those combs, the calamistrum in place, they could observe that the surface of the comb was covered with fingerprint-like nanoripples. These swirls and interwoven patterns of nanoripples prevent the nanofibers from contacting the surface of the spider's leg too closely, especially around the region of the comb. This means that it reduces the amount of adhesive van der Waals force. You might recall from chemistry learning about different types of bonds, ionic bonds, covalent bonds, hydrogen bonds, and the van der Waals force. This kind of really weak intramolecular particle, which can be incredibly strong with long polymer chains, because it relies on effectively surface area. And surface area is something that we have in play here as well, because by changing up the amount of interaction between these layers, you can make sure that the fibers don't get too caught or get too statically attracted, Fadevale's force, to the spider leg. Now, what they then took is from all these different spider legs and spider combs that they were studying, they tried to make an artificial non-stick surface inspired by the spider's combs, the calamistrum. And if they used a pattern similar in nature with those small nano ripples, and they cut it into polyethylene tetraphylate, or PET foils, and then coated those foils with gold, it actually produced a really efficient artificial spider comb performed in trials pretty much nearly as well as the actual spider comb against resisting the spider silk, the sticky, woolly, bristly spider silk. Now, this is all well and good. They made a super amazing and efficient spider comb for weaving spider silk, a particular type of spider silk that isn't sticky and gluey, but rather wiry and woolly. But how does that help? Well, in a lot of nano research, a lot of the materials used, these nanomaterials used in medical appliances, have some incredibly fine fibers, like spider silk, fine and strong, and they don't want to get them tangled too much together. So when you're making that next generation nano device or nano material, you actually need a way of keeping it straight. And by demonstrating a pattern from nature that has been proven to work in spider's legs, these calamistrum combs, well, they can actually have a proven design and use this biomimicry to help be applied to production processes for medical or nanomaterial production. 
And this is why it's fascinating. There's a lot of we can learn from nature. Again, in the example of spiders, they can help guide engineering and chemical development for nanomaterials, smart textiles, medical devices, you name it. And it's how we can take using inspiration from nature and applying it to our own problems to solve that next generation of problems. That's why it's a great paper published in the journal ACS Applied Nanomaterials with lead author Anna Christian Joel. One of the most incredible and somewhat terrifying apocalyptic type scenes you can get in nature occurs when a bunch of orb weaving spiders completely coat a landscape, obviously normally outdoors, or a farm or rural area in spider webs. And as the sun rises in the morning and you have dew or frost sitting on those webs, you realize that it looks like the entire ground has been snowed in, except it's not snow. It's intricately carved webs laid out by often golden orb weaver spiders, such as the Nephila filipes. Now, that is a pretty amazing sight when that landscape gets covered in spider webs. But researchers from Australia, Singapore, and Taiwan have recently published a paper in the journal Functional Ecology. And what they've been investigating, this large international team of researchers, including Dr. Po Peng, who's a lead author of the study, is how these golden orb weaver spiders actually go about making the most effective web. Of course, coating the entire landscape with webs isn't the work of a single spider. It's the work of a population thriving and moving at the same time due to normally weather and breeding conditions all aligning. But these spiders trying to all build the most effective web. Those webs are designed to lure and catch prey. So what do the spiders do to make their web the most effective? And that's where this international team of researchers cut out different types of cardboard models and put the real webs out of the field to test them. And what they were looking at was which type of webs and which types of spiders with which types of patterns and designs managed to catch the most prey. Now, the Nephilia pivotlipes, the golden orb weaver spider, can capture prey during day and during nighttime. So how do you design a web that's going to lure in prey in, in both situations, especially making one that's good at luring nocturnal insects. There's mosquitoes that come out at night, those moths. So how do you get them to get trapped in your web? Harder to see a web or get lured in by it if it's not glistening in the sunlight. Now, all weaving spiders pretty much build webs in all different kinds of light conditions. And research previous has shown that there's a link between the type of orb weaving spider and their body color patterns and the type of light environment that they live in. Species that build their webs in well-lit environments are more likely to evolve onto their body a yellow mosaic color pattern because it's found to be pretty effective at luring in prey in the, when you analyze in that condition. But this problem is that this type of color pattern rarely evolves in species that don't often lure in prey. 
because they're in really low light environments in the dark building their webs in deep in caves or shaded environments so what happens to these spiders they don't naturally evolve this yellow mosaic pattern but is it effective or not at luring prey so the only way to really solve this is to take cut out models of different types of spider body patterns and place them out in webs to see if they actually lure in prey or not. And what they found is that actually the color luring method is actually very, very effective in a lot of different conditions. And they're trying to actually identify why this yellow mosaic pattern has been found to be so effective at luring prey in all different types of conditions. And it's hypothesized that it might be due to yellow pollen and yellow flower heads being common in flowers that signal to diurnal, active during the day, pollinators. So bees and other things like that, they can go and visit flowers. And also other types of nocturnal creatures like moths or butterflies can also discriminate colors as well when it's dimly lit. And they seem to be also prefer yellow. So we've got two types of yellow preferences in both day and nocturnal type of prey. So the first place that they tested out this hypothesis was in the Huan Mountains in Taiwan, all the way back in 2008 and 2009. And they took five models of different types of these spiders with their legs outstretched in different patterns, and tried to see if it had any impact in luring in the daytime flies and bees and in the nighttime moths and butterflies. And what's amazing here is that the yellow mosaic pattern does seem to actually help lure in prey. Now, of course, you've got a question as well. Spiders aren't the top of the food chain. And a lot of things, birds, other insects, you name it, can consume these orb-weaving spiders. So covering themselves in a yellow mosaic pattern not only helps lure in prey, but also makes the spider a bigger target. But what they've shown in, in field analysis and in trials paper cutouts is that despite the risks that it has of getting more attention on it it's still a very successful strategy you're not trading off the risk there because you're actually blending in in some ways as well with other pollen potential sources so this is some fascinating aspect here where the spiders have developed an intricate color pattern to try and lure in prey and it's prevalent mostly in daytime like creatures but it's just as effective at luring at night some really interesting work piecing together the way in which spiders patterns on their bodies themselves can help make their webs more effective at trapping prey published in the journal functional ecology with researchers including dr po ping david stewart fox and suzay wei chen this has been the young scientists of australia's podcast lagrange point coloring spiders to help lure in prey into their spider webs, how to keep those webs from getting all tangled up and develop new, better ways of making nanomaterials, and repurposing spider venom. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.